weeknights from 6 on 2FM. And a very good evening from Damien O'Mara. You are very welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game on Soccer. GAA going to dominate the programme between now and 7 o'clock. One great guests uh, to bring you between uh, now and then. Arguably one of the standout footballers of all time, not just of his generation. We're going to hear from Dublin's Brian Fenton on the programme this evening about their All-Ireland success in 2023, the admiration and maybe wonder they have for uh, Stephen Cluxton and maybe the ominous messages for teams that want to take Dublin off their throne just in terms of how the ambition is for 2024 all of that to come in addition to the big stories of the week with Damien Lawler at loans Chloe Singleton will be with us in advance of the Sports Direct Women's FAI Cup Final which takes place in Talla on Sunday they're facing Shelburne for the second year running and we're going to begin the programme with uh, some of the big soccer stories of the day we'd love for you to steer the conversation you can text us our number is 51552 or you'll find us on social media at Game on 2 fm Game on on 2FM. And you're very welcome to the programme. We are going to get straight down to business and chat soccer. Delighted to say Tim Clancy is with us. Tim, how are you? Not too bad. How are things? Not too bad. Good to chat to you again. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, listen, I, I'm going to I want to chat to you about the obviously the week that's in it from a Republic of Ireland perspective and the game against the Netherlands and New Zealand to come. But um, a man who's so ingrained in the League of Ireland, the League of Ireland Team of the Year um, released today. This is the PFAI Team of the Year. So this is voted upon by the players. It, should it be somewhat of a shock that you've got the four in a row winning Shamrock Rovers team? They've only got one player represented in Roberto Lopez. I think that shows the um, the season that Rovers have had. I don't think they've been um, in top gear at all all season and, and that's sort of been replicated by the, the players throughout the league not voting for more than their players and I think that's a scary thought though for the other teams in the league that Shamrock Rovers didn't really get going this year and he still won the league and um, Pico obviously being their main the leader at the at the back is um, a just uh, introduction in the involvement in the in the in the team, sorry. So, yeah, I, t- I think that it's um, it's probably a little bit harsh on on the other players that are overs, but I think big players like Jack Byrne missed a missed a big chunk of the season as well. So, the the flip side of it, you could say, is a testament to the squad depth they have that they don't need specific individual players to stand out. That it's one with such an impressive squad over the course of the campaign. Or am I am I clutching at straws on their behalf? No, I don't think so at all. I think if you if you look at um, their over squad, the, their bench every week would would mostly start for nearly every other team in the league. So, um, yeah, they've they've massive uh, squad depth, and um, you can see that with with only one representative in the in the team of the season It's probably a bit strange for a team that have won the league but that's the standards that um, Shamrock Rovers have set over the last four years Yeah the team in full Connor Kearns of Shelburne in goal Archie Davies Sam Curtis Roberto Lopez Ben Doherty uh, Will Patching Chris Forrester James Clark Jack Moylan Rory Keating and Jonathan Afalabi the um, Premier Division Player of the Year Chris Forrester of Pats Jonathan Afalabi and Rory Keating it, it's you can make a very very strong case Tim for each of the three of them to come out and win that on top for for professional and personal reasons yeah, of course. You you look at um, Johnny Afalabi finished uh, joint top scorer with uh, Jack Moylan on 15 goals, and you see Chris is only a couple behind. But Chris is probably um, the only one of the three that's not a, a centre forward. He's a centre midfielder, so his goal contributions this year has been brilliant in a, in a good Pats team that went on and, and won the cup. And obviously, then with Rory Keaton getting the goals that he got this season with a with a team that got relegated, there's definitely an argument to give the award down to to Cork as well. But I think. Uh, Possibly it'll be be Afalabi. I think he's he's started the season slowly, but then 
he was at the forefront of all the all the good things that Bowes did. And Sam Curtis, James Clark, and Jack Moylan. So Pat's Bowes and Shells uh, in the running for the Young Player of the Year. And it's it's a reminder to you when you look at at the talent that's at the disposal of players to vote there, just how strong a league it is and how young a league it has now become. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's a lot of good players in the league, and um, Young Sam's had all the all the plaudits and everything's been said about him since he's broke into the team when, when he was 16 um, under myself and he's been exceptional he's um, like a duck to water with the, with the step ups that he's made and especially with the 21s as well he's been he's been exceptional um, James Clark had an unbelievable season for Bowes as well probably there he was their player of the year this year and um, I had him at Trotta brilliant um, brilliant player very talented and then Jack Moylan I think personally I think he's been the player of the year myself Um Again, a bit like Chris Forrester, he's not a centre-forward and he ended up with joint top scorer this season for Shells in a team that didn't score a great deal of goals. I know he's probably scored a good chunk of their goals and um, he's got his rewards by getting a move to League One. Just before we move on and talk about other bits and pieces that are in the news, um, the, the, so basically every club, for people who don't know, every club has a PFAI rep, a union rep, and it's the union rep who hands out the ballot papers and gets the teammates to vote which I think can be a disaster to try and do to get fellas to actually buy into it because of, I, I don't want to say, the perceived laziness that might exist within the world of uh, professional sport. But this is a tremendous honour, isn't it? Because you, there is no greater award than the one that is voted for by your peers. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the one you sort of want respect from is the um, players that you're playing against. And um, a lot of the time you might see that fans will see certain things on the pitch that when you're out there as a player, it's it's maybe a little bit different as well. So it's the, it's the players that vote for it, and I think that's probably the best accolade to get is the um, is the reward off your your fellow peers. And listen, I had it myself in Scotland where um, we had a teammate uh, Alexi Aramenko who's unbelievable, and he lost out by about six votes to uh, Emilio Ezeguiri at Celtic for Player of the Year. And every single one of us nearly voted for Izagiri as well. So maybe tactically that year we got it wrong and we should have voted for someone else. But I think when it's uh, when you're honest, um, it's it's even more uh, rewarding. Yeah, and I'm sure every player in the league puts themselves into the team as well. Um, just obviously, you know, we've we've the Premier League and the leagues around Europe on a hiatus because of the international window. Um, like Stephen Kenny fronted up did media yesterday and he, you know he hasn't shied away from the fact after the, the most recent results that I don't want to say the writing is on the wall but certainly there, there is a stronger case to be made for change of management after the New Zealand game this week than for the retention of Stephen from a, a coaching or player's perspective how did, does that manifest itself at all in terms of concentration and application within a dressing room when, when players and they have to be discussing the likelihood that the manager is out the gap next week I think it's probably a little bit different when it's club football as opposed to international football. Um, I think in a club environment, you're with the manager every day and you can sense the fans. As, as every match day, you can hear the disgruntlement or whatever else. Um, I think international football is a little bit different. And I think, Stephen, when you look back at his reign, he's been he's been very, very unlucky um, when he started and got it in the COVID period with a lot of the luck we got with the COVID cases and the injuries and what Stephen's done though is it's been unbelievably uh, beneficial to the country because a lot of young players have got opportunities and got a lot of experience and um, should it be Stephen going forward to the next campaign or someone else um, the the senior squad certainly in a better position for the last couple of season, mm. uh, seasons We look at it, it's Netherlands seventh in the world that we travel to play this weekend it's important to be realistic in terms of what you can expect a team that's ranked as, as far down as Ireland are to be able to achieve it, this week it's all about performance and application really isn't it? 
Yeah, and that's something that's never been questioned um, under Stephen or under previous managers as well. It's it's something that we probably play to the um, tag of the underdog a lot better than we do as favourites. And that seems to be an all sort of sporting background. If you look at the rugby guys as well, as soon as we're favourites against New Zealand, you know there's something, something up and it's not good. Um, but as a as a squad and as a, as a team, I'm, I'm sure that we'll be able to compete and um, put on a, a good performance. And again, on paper, you're looking at it going, well, there's no chance of getting a result, but I wouldn't be shocked if we did. Okay. Um, the other story of, of note today, uh, Manchester United announcing that their chief executive is going to step down. Richard Arnold, who um, you know is relatively recent in the role. He's been group managing director since 2013, but stepped up to the overall chief executive job in 2022. I'm seeing United fans on on Twitter and social media kind of rejoicing in this, that this is going to bring around a big change in the culture of the club. I'd imagine you're dealing with like a major international business here, and this guy is the head of the business. Surely a decision like this doesn't have significant ramifications in the dressing room when the players, you know, reconvene next week after the international break. Um, no, I, I don't think so. Um, from a player perspective, the managerial position might be a little bit different. Um, and again, even though Man United are struggling um, on the pitch and haven't been successful as they were under Sir Alex Ferguson, um, they're still one of the biggest turnovers and biggest clubs in the in the world for finances and the, the reach that they have. Um, but again, I just think it's more noise in the background at Manchester United that... Uh, points to the direction that everything's not right at the club mm. um, again it's a big big position um, to hold within a club that size and changing it now and there's still the, the doubts if this club's going to be sold by the Glaziers or not and it's only going to be part sold or it's going to be a full takeover you don't know so I just think it's more noise that the, the club don't really need Yeah, Tim we'll leave it there thanks so much for being with us uh, as always Tim Clancy with us chatting some of the big sto- soccer stories of the week we're going to stay with soccer we're going to switch attention to the women's FAI Cup final uh, the Shelburne perspective last night we're going to get the Atlone Town perspective on the programme stay with us and you're very welcome back to the programme. So we're going to switch attention to the Women's FAI Cup final, which takes place at Tallis Stadium uh, this coming Sunday afternoon. Coverage on RT2 television and also on RTE Radio 1. And it's the showpiece event of the year in the uh, women's game. And it's a rivalry that's really developed uh, quite a bit of bite to us in recent years. So we had the Shelburne perspective on the programme last night and it's at Lone Town's turn uh, this evening. And delighted to say that at Lone's Chloe Singleton is with us. Chloe, how are you? Hi, how are you? Not, Not too bad. Thanks good. for having me. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, a week like this when you've got a cup final on the horizon, is it an agonising week to wait around or is it just so much enthusiasm that you can take it in your stride and taper to Sunday? Yeah, do you know what? The way I'm looking at it is I'm just kind of taking it in my stride. I'm trying not to add any distractions. I'm just kind of taking it as a normal week for myself. Do you know, I don't want to, to add too much into it, but I want to just approach it like any other game. Um, if I if I start overthinking it, I think I'll just play mind games with myself. So so for myself, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be the same for a lot of the other girls, we're just kind of taking it as, as a no, another normal week. But there is a great benefit, one would imagine, that so many of you were there last year and have that experience of what it's like to walk out in Tallis Stadium on Cup Final Day. Definitely. Like myself, I wasn't there last year, but the amount of girls on the squad that were there and the experience they have, that'll definitely... Uh, come to play on Sunday and you know I've just been asking the girls for any piece of advice because I know myself it'll be a nerve-wracking day um, and any bit of kind of experience that the girls can can give to me and the 
advice they can give to me, you know, I'll just take it on board because it is, it's a nerve-wracking week and it's a nerve-wracking day, but I think the best way to approach it is just to kind of take it as, as another another game, really. Uh, but you look at it in terms of, of the momentum that you've had since the break in order for the World Cup players to, to head off to Australia. I think it's only one defeat in 13 games. Like, it has been, in terms of momentum, this game can't come around quick enough for you guys just to, to carry into the cup final what you'd finish the league with. Yeah, definitely. We've we've definitely picked up a bit of momentum since the kind of mid-season break. Um, I think it's huge for us. I think there's there's a lot, an awful lot of confidence knocking around the squad, especially with Dana. She's after um, our striker. She's after getting a golden boot this year. You know, which is it's a huge, huge achievement. And to have her on the squad and the depth we have on the squad this year, it's massive. And it, I think the confidence is just growing and growing. And you can really tell the weeks leading up to this week um, training has just been on top form and you know the girls are really eager to get out there um, it's going to be a difficult one to, for Kieran to pick a starting 11 mm. but the confidence is just booming You mentioned Kieran there Kieran Kilduff who, who fans of, of the men's game will know so much for what he did um, in, in League of Ireland he seems to have had such an impact since coming in this season yeah, definitely. I think he came in at a good time. I know like there was a lot of ups and downs within the squad, but he really came in and, and got us all together. Do you know, he, he added a, a different kind of outlook to everything. Uh, he brought us all together. There's a real kind of togetherness with the squad. Um, we obviously added in some great mid-season signings, which which obviously helped. Um, but no, he's he's really improved things and he's really kind of got us on the, the straight and narrow in terms of results. And we're kind of on an unbeaten run nearly and we just kind of want to keep it that way and we've got a bit of grip in between our teeth now and we want, we're want we hungry for, for this game and uh, he's obviously got a lot to play for that and kind of the mentality he's brought in has really helped us. Now you'll forgive me if I remind you that Shelburne have the upper hand in terms of the meetings of the sides <laughs> between the league and the Avenir Cup um, over the course of, of the year but like listen I know it's a cliche but cliches are born out of truth that doesn't really count for an awful lot or does it when it comes to Sunday afternoon and, and kick-off taking place I, at three o'clock? Yeah I think I think cup uh, cup games anything can happen you know anything can happen in cup games they're very unpredictable yeah you could say we're the underdogs and in my own opinion I do think we're the underdogs going into this game but I think that kind of nearly benefits in, benefits us in a way because there's not much as much pressure on us I, I don't feel there's any pressure on us really um, obviously last year the two sides met and it was Shelburne who came out on top and throughout the season it's been Shelburne who's kind of come out on top in most of our meetings um, but I do think it kind of plays in our favour that that we are deemed the underdogs. There's no pressure. I the girls don't seem to feel any pressure in the week coming up to it. I think it's a great um, kind of outlook to have on it. You know, maybe all the pressures in, on their side. Mm. I don't know, but I think from our perspective, we're enjoying having that kind of everyone having that kind of an outlook and everyone thinking you know they kind of maybe do have the upper hand and they did come out on top in previous games but yeah, and, and like you know, this, I think that'll work out in our favour we, we might be accused of mind games but you look as well with the success they've had in recent years obviously the league evaded them there's one other chance for silverware so I don't know how much of the chat around at loan this week is you know they need to win far more than we might need to win mm, yeah definitely like I think the pressure is kind of more so on their side like I said but, you know, the league, unfortunately, didn't go our way this year. We kind of were just playing to to kind of put out statements more than anything towards the end of the season and to kind of gather points. Um, obviously, I think Shells ended up second and that's down to our kind of four-all draw with, with Shamrock Rovers. But yeah. in terms of the league and in terms of the Cup, anything can happen on Cup Day. and It's, it's, it's just a great event for the league in terms of the turnaround in terms of the event itself and off the back of a very success, successful 
you know, a sporting year for women's soccer this year, especially with the World Cup. It's yeah, just, and, it's going to be phenomenal. But when we look at that, like, you know, season ticket holders for the women's team get access to the cup final this weekend as, as part of that. We saw the exposure for the women's game with the World Cup. Um, like, it is a boom time for the Women's League of Ireland. Like, it, it you know, it, there, there has been no better rising tide to lift all boats. Yeah, definitely. I think off the back of a World Cup, you know, there's no better time to play a cup final, really. I think, um, I just hope that many people will come out and support, especially from Atlone. I hope a lot of people will make the journey up and come and support us. And, you know, off the back of a World Cup, you can see the turnout that uh, the women's national team are getting to Tala and to the Aviva, that game that they played, like the turnaround and the amount of support they're getting is phenomenal. So I just hope that carries through into this Sunday, into the cup final, that wherever people are, that they're going to make the journey up and yeah. support either side and, and just women's football in general, not just to support either at Lone or Shelburne. It's just to support, you know, the growth of women's football itself. Yeah, and ultimately it's just football. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Um, how, how big, like, listen, I, I presume you subscribe to the view that there's so much potential and we look at, you know, the, the, the increased link-ups between the men's teams and the women's teams that, you know, people just see themselves supporting a club rather than supporting either the men's team or the women's team. It's, you know, it's, it's one and the same and, and that growth will no doubt continue in the years to come. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, in the last maybe two years, there's just been phenomenal growth on the women's side and you can see the men's side is growing more and more interest into the women's game. And, you know, it's just a great spectacle for women in sport. It's just phenomenal to see that we are getting the acknowledgement, we are getting the support, and especially from the men's division, you know, especially with our club, I know the men have been very supportive of us this season. And likewise with us, when they were in the playoffs, we were supportive of them. Unfortunately, a lot of our male players are from America so they're all at home at the moment but they would have been there to support us on Sunday and I, I hope the players that are still here in Ireland will be there and, and likewise for the Shelburne girls I'm sure their their men's side have have phenomenal support for them and it's it hopefully it's the same across all teams within our league you know the men are kind of really coming on board mm. Chloe may the most deserving team win on Sunday thanks so much for being with us and go well this week Thanks a million. Thanks That's for having me. Chloe Singleton of Athlone with us there in advance of the FAI Cup final, the Women's FAI Cup final taking place in Tallis Stadium on Sunday afternoon and coverage of that across all RTE platforms. We are going to be hearing from uh, arguably one of the footballers of his generation, if not one of the great midfielders of all time, Dublin's Brian Fenton on the way after the break. Stay with us. Game on. GAA. And you're very welcome back to the programme. So we're going to switch attention to Gaelic Games between now uh, and the conclusion before we make way for Betta, who's here after seven o'clock. And uh, Dublin, the Dublin County Board, um, today unveiled Stay City Apart Hotels as their new primary sponsor. It's a Dublin-based and Irish-owned company. Um, they've agreed to a five-year deal to have their logo in front of the Dublin men's and ladies' football teams in addition to their hurling and camogie sides as well. Um, one of the men on duty this afternoon was uh, Brian Fenton, um, like arguably one of the footballers of all time he's a man who's racked up plenty of honours as we will uh, hear in due course and he's in line this weekend to make his own bit of history if he can win Footballer of the Year at the All-Stars and become the first man to win that on three occasions I had the chance to chat to him earlier today and we began by kind of looking back on the year that's been and a lot of teams obviously firmly focused on 2024 so are the dubs all into the O'Byrne Cup and the league and everything that's going to land on them in January or February or are they still relishing the excitement and the glory of that All-Ireland success back in July? 
I think we're probably at the turning point, I'd say. Um, we're still bringing the spoils of war, as we, as we like to call it. Um, we're still enjoying the celebrations and everything that comes with that, but there's a huge fundra- fundraising period to kind of fundraise for, I suppose, next year and maybe a team holiday and stuff like that. So we're kind of in the midst of that now and uh, coming into our team holiday. And once that once that finishes, it's um, back to the grind of Inish Vales in, in the, the month of December. So all your wins are, are quickly forgotten at that stage. Is there a senior leadership team now that picked the destination or how does all that work out? No, it's it's not in our hands. I think it's a combination of how big is the group, what's the yeah. budget and uh, what options are available so quickly because I suppose having one in, in July and you're kind of getting trying to get things together, it's uh, whatever hotel will have us across the world. So uh, And look, we've, as a Dublin pal, I've been so lucky over the years. We've had many a team holiday, thankfully uh, and luckily. And um, I've been to some amazing places. So I think the Dominican Republic is one of those places we, ha- we haven't been to. So okay. it's great. This year feels a little bit different. Like, and even I, th- I think you and I would have spoken on the pitch in Crow Park that afternoon. And was there a massive relief of pressure? Have you enjoyed this one in a different way because so many questions perhaps were asked of you in advance of it? I don't know if I enjoyed it in a different way. I think the celebrations are always the celebrations, and we we enjoy ourselves, and that's kind of been part of the part of the enjoyment, a part of the beauty has been a Dublin footballer. We've enjoyed each success every year equally, and um, but I think deeper down maybe a little bit psychologically or going to bed at night there's a little bit more satisfaction I think mm. from, from from a personal perspective um, you know there was that sense that we were unexpected to win rather than expected to win in other years and uh, there was that sense of we weren't the team we were potentially or we weren't the champions we were so that just going to bed at night in those small moments of gratif- gratis- or gratification I suppose is the word um that's what kind of rings true is that enjoyment that you know we proved people wrong and we got back to the top of the mountain again this year and uh, it's a beautiful beautiful feeling but there is that sense to talk to players you know off the record or away from the intensity maybe of match days is that when you looked around the dressing room be it here in Parnell Park or in Schvels or wherever it is you're training that people saw within the room the potential to do something special last year irrespective of what division you were in or what was being said of you oh definitely and uh, and that's it kind of worked in our favour in many ways because it kind of brought the group together and as you say when you look around the change room and you still have the players that were there to begin the year and then the players that rejoined us like Sir Paul Mannion and, and Jack and Stephen Cluxon during the year so when you look around the room there's nothing but experience born winners um, hungry people hungry players and just serial winners across across mm. the change room so that builds nothing but confidence um, we had an amazing group of young lads last year who really pushed us hard I think that was maybe one of the things we suffered over the years was that kind of AVB game wasn't at the standard maybe that it had been in previous years but in 2023 this year it was at the highest level you know we used to have games in Inish Fails or DCU wherever we trained those AVB games were of the highest quality so that kind of next crop which is I suppose as we look forward is the, is the exciting part is they're coming as hard as ever and we have that kind of depth strength and depth as well which we were without for and a few years you have to remember as well that for a, for a time there you know the five in a row six in a row whatever else guys were coming onto the Dublin panel and there was an expectation that you would win there was competitiveness but there was an expectation a lot of new medal will come at some stage this yeah. year you had young lads who weren't certain an all Ireland medal was ever going to come and that does that keeps the rest of you the older heads honest oh definitely definitely and I was part of that lucky gang that came in and the lads have won 11, 13 I came in at 15 on the back of the they hurt and defeat in 14 so um, I was coming into a panel where all Ireland's were expected whereas the last few years or the last two years as you say it was kind of going the other way it was maybe falling down the other side of the mountain so um, and you go back to the well and you kind of go back to okay where am I going with this 
I'm going to have to work hard and train hard and you go back to, you, you don't cut corners anymore, you really just go back to basics and you build up that hunger, you build up that resilience and you build up that desire to win and in many ways losing was a blessing for us. It, it, built, it, it allowed us, the experience that has made to build up that bit of hunger and it allowed those younger lads to see, okay, this is what's what it's really going to take to, to get over the line. Forgive me if I have the stats wrong. Correct me. Seven All-Irelands, eight Leinsters, four leagues, two Player of the Year awards. Whatever else you want to throw in in between. I'm I'm correct on nine Leinsters. Nine uh, Leinsters. Yeah, okay, yeah. well, sure, listen, at this stage, three <laughs> counts Dublin's Leinsters. Yeah. Um, where does your motivation come from? Because like, you can't have any boxes still to tick, tick in this game, do you? Um, probably not boxes. I think just, like I said a few years ago, that, like longevity is always the sign of a, a really decent player. You obviously have incredibly talented players, but when they drop off after a couple of years, maybe they're not remembered or maybe they haven't built that legacy for themselves or from a team perspective as well. So for me, it's a consistent, high performance over a number of years, I think, would really get me going and get my juices, juices flowing in many ways. Um, and kind of to, to prove myself again, I suppose, on a personal level, I felt that I wasn't achieving the standards that I wanted over, over the last two years um, prior to this year. And it's just that, again, that sense as we did as a team, but individually to kind of prove people wrong again and prove that you're still the best or still the greatest or whatever angle you want to take it, just to, any angle you can get to kind of get your motivation going. How much do you analyse your performances then? Are you one for sitting down and watching the tape? Or presumably you have people whose opinion you trust that you turn to and say, where am I at here? Yeah, I kind of analyse it heavily. Um, I would... I would go back and your first Portugal is your own clips whenever the whenever the stats come out it's you go through your own involvements your own clips what you did well what you did poorly I'm quick to skip the poor poor parts because I remember them so clearly do you know what I mean you don't remember the good parts and that's where the video helps but when you make mistakes that's uh, you remember them so vividly you know I remember this year we played Ross Common in the, the kind of this Super 8 uh, section of the championship and uh and I dropped the ball short from about 15 yards uh, coming down the stretch. They got the ball, turned it over and leveled the game. And that still sits with me and still haunts me. It's like it's a bread and butter kick. So there's moments that stand out to you throughout the year where you're kind of saying, Jesus, that really wasn't up to standard. So you try and improve it and you go back to the drawing board and you go back to your coaches. And, like, and as you say, you have a few people around you that you use as a, as a soundboard, a couple of players that I would trust heavily, a couple of the management that I would trust heavily and say, look, where do you think I'm at here? You know, I hadn't scored for a long time this year. And I was consistently working on my kicking and my scoring with, with Mick Gavin and the coaches here behind the scenes. So it's those kind of things that you're, there's always an edge, there's always an improvement to be made, and, uh, and thankfully it came through. And that's across the board, I would imagine. So if the vast majority of the panel are like you are, which no doubt they are, there's an area, there's loads of areas for improvement for 2024. So the message to everyone is the dubs are back and they don't intend on going anywhere. <laughs> you, might, you might run with that, but... You certainly don't intend on going anywhere. Like you don't intend to, like like any team, you don't intend to be a runner-up or you'd be a, a, a has you know, so um, or an also round. So yeah, across the board, like and it's and that's been the culture, like and that's what I've benefited from. Just being more of a backseat learner over the years is because you have the likes of Coco, who, has, as you say, has achieved everything, has no more boxes left to tick, but is always pushing and driving and challenging us as players. The likes of James McCarthy come in, pushing, challenging. And, you know, it comes through slagging and it comes through, you, you might make a mistake and it's a bit of crack, but you know that deep down they're saying, you better be mm. you better be better the next day or you better improve it the next day. So no one can sit in their laurels. No one can say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coasting here, I have my place secure, because that's not the case, you know? Is Cluxton so. as big an enigma in the dressing room as he is outside? Can you understand the fixation with him? I can understand the fixation with him. And, like... 
he's not as big of an enigma to answer your question as he is in the dressing room. He's one of our mates. He has, he's involved in everything. He's not quiet or avoiding anything and as would be perceived in the media. Um, but still, at the same time, I get this sense. Anytime I meet him, I like socially, for example, if we meet for a pint, I'll just be kind of saying, Jesus, you're... Stephen Cookson. Do you know what I mean? I still get that sense. It's funny. You know? I, yeah. I was. I spent. Yeah. A, I said to you before we started recording. Yeah. I spent a bit of time in Jack McCarthy's company on Friday evening, and like yourself and Jack have done everything. But yet Jack spoke about the fact that in 20, 30, 40 years' time, I will tell people I played with Stephen Cookson. Hundred percent. And that is like when I like I say to my my girlfriend Katie, I say to my parents, like when I look back at my career, it won't be like oh, I won this or I won that. I will genuinely turn around and say. I played with James McCarthy, I call him Macker. I played with Macker. I played with Clucko. I played with Jack. I literally named those players as kind of why I did it or like the, the beauty I got in it. Um, like, and as I said, like, I meet Clucko and I'm kind of saying like, holy, whatever, yeah. you're Stephen Cluxon. Like, <laughs> what am I, like, I'm still a fan. Like, I'm still a kid. Like, I was yeah. in the hill when you kicked the winner in 2011. Do you know what kind of way? So, yes. um, He's an enigma on the outside of the group, but in the group, he's he's a he's a friend to us all. But how big a role then, or how big a refocus was it for the current group when he walked into the dressing room here unannounced to rejoin the panel? Like, did did it add another focus to things that, well, if he's back, there's something happening? Yeah, yeah, it adds a it adds a sense of seriousness to it. And not don't get me wrong, it's not a yeah, I'll take it seriously, but it, it adds yeah. an element of okay, this is real here, you know. And he's he's not coming back. He's not coming back just for a runners-up medal, as I said. He's not coming. He's coming back with with a sense of purpose to do better for Dublin, to bring us back to the top of that mountain. So, and we're forever grateful for it. So, when he comes back, you're kind of saying, you know, with a new member of the panel, you might say you don't in meetings or whatever, whatever way your leadership style is, you might not hear from a new panelist for for a year or two yeah. years. Or club comes back and he's speaking straight away, and I'm like, you don't even know the game plan. You yeah, don't know yeah. what we were talking about last week, but here you are still talking. And, and making points and everyone is listening it's literally like you hear a pin drop in the room and that's from day one so. just to finish you have State City coming on board for um, title sponsorship or primary sponsor whatever it is they're called uh, you were doing photos outside the previous sponsors advertising was being taken down in Parnell Park already you're part of the generation that maybe people will say benefited from the blue wave of investment we've got Holly's Town Centre of Excellence, we've got the Spa Well, all of these announcements from Dublin GAA. You can't escape the fact that the money does play an impact, that there will be people who listen to this and go, sure, no wonder he has what medals he has. Look at the investment that goes into Dublin. Like, yeah, I know, and I know that, that narrative is out there and I'm not going to deny that we aren't well supported. Uh, it's amazing. It's, it's been The AIG support or the funding or however way you want to put it has been incredible for us over the last few years and allowed the county board to put plans in place, projects in place and implement them over the last decade or whatever. But, but at the same time, like when I'm running up and down the pitch and in his fails and I'm trying to get my fitness better or, as I said, I haven't kicked a point in six weeks or eight weeks, like money won't stand to me then. Do you know what I mean? And that's always the, the, the point that I've made. Yes, I'm not going to deny that we're well supported and if I have an ache or a niggle and we need a scan or we need to be fed after training, that, to be fair, has become a standard in GA across all codes mm. but I, w- I would always challenge to say yes you know that, that anecdote you can bring a horse to water but like when, when, when we sit down as a group and you're pushing each other day in day out in the gym or you're pushing each other to get up and down from that line on a fitness test or when you're pushing each other through the slog of December training like every county does I'm not going to yeah, yeah, you know no, I'm not going to yeah. you know deny yeah. everyone goes through it but the, that when, when I'm in those moments the money argument is very short lived in my head I'm just like no money is getting me up and down this hill here. No, you know, and that's that's what I always kind of come back with, you know, yes. because we're very lucky. And it comes, and don't get me wrong, 
the money, your motorbike is cut in fails. There's nothing glamorous they about it. They wouldn't let us anywhere near the place. Yeah, yeah well, Congress is usually hiding the buses. Uh, uh, but, you know, there's nothing glamorous about yeah, it. Yeah, no, there. I appreciate you know that, yeah. there's, there's no centre of excellence yet, yeah. and there hasn't been for the last 10 years. And the money, you can see how much the game has grown in the county of Dublin. So, yes, we're the kind of spearhead for it, and we've been a successful team, and we get seen to be, oh, well, here's where obviously all this money is going towards, but look across the city, look across as John Costello says, the challenges that we have amongst other sports in the city. And, that, and that's where sorry. the promising thing is for people who are into Gaelic games in Dublin is that that development is going to grow and those centres of excellence are going to attract kids who might be in two minds yeah. over which direction to go. So, again, back to the sorry, ominous yeah. thing about the hunger. The yeah. future is bright for Dublin with all these resources. I was, I'd have no doubt about it. You know, I know, like, even in my own club in Rohini, we have incredible numbers, but that's, that's again down to having the GPOs in place, having things well run, having your your committees, your mums and dads there on a, on a Saturday morning, doing the role, having healthy lunches for kids when they finish the sessions, having safe environments for them to train in. And that's where the GA has gone, and it's been unbelievable. And I've no doubt that the next generation of dubs will, will benefit from that and, and hopefully will be remembered, as you say, but uh, the hoarding of AIG has gone quickly down, so maybe it's the same for a player will be will be as quickly forgotten as, as they are. Wish you well for 2024. Thanks, William. Appreciate it. Thanks. And that's Brian Fenton chatting today at that uh, sponsorship unveiling at Parnell Park. Let's uh, check in on some of the big uh, stories of the week, Gaelic Games-wise. Damien Lawler's with me. Hiya, Damien. Hi, how are you doing, Damien? Good to talk to you. Um, Brian Fenton, one of the, the great gentlemen of, of Gaelic Games, and isn't it great that they're rare? You get an opportunity to sit down and just chat about the world with a fella for 10 or 15 minutes. So, like, a point I'd make to you, and I was listening to your coverage there on Saturday Sport on the radio, um yourself and Joanne uh, in the build-up to the FAI Cup final, Damien. And uh, all week long, uh, David Snade, Gary Doyle, all the journalists, um, you know, Gavin Cooney, uh, uh, you know, all the the RTE coverage and how open everybody was in the lead-up to that soccer final and the attendance it got as well, Damien. And you'll have the exact figure, you'll know more about that side of things than I will. But... I, like they have to be linked. It can't be a coincidence that you had two camps wide open with the media, full access it seemed, and near to a full house or a record attendance at the very least in the Aviva. Now, you might say, okay, in GEA, there's, there's full houses for every final. You don't need to be doing this sort of media engagement. But I, I really think we're at a, a crossroads in Gaelic games at the moment, just in terms of the overcoaching and uh, the 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 fear of giving away possession, the conservative tactics. Um, I know other teams are trying to evolve along the way. Certain teams are trying to evolve along the way, but uh, allied to that, maybe to the, the question mark over over hurling counties and where they're going at the lower end. Uh, allied to that, then the, the the lack of the lack of kind of interaction between the player and the consumer at home, whether that's a the reader of a newspaper, the listener of a radio or a podcast show, or the watcher or viewer of a TV show, like uh, there is a there is a huge gap there between one and the other. And selfishly speaking, it's really when I get out at club level and and I, I we tour the country, you and I uh, with RTG, yeah, that you, you see the lads in their club jerseys and they're they're so much more relaxed chatting to you. Um, so I'm not sure any manager is going to relax the reins until there's a director from from above. And how can you enforce that? Well, I think, uh, you know, 
a lot of counties are having press conferences before before events and stuff like that and maybe while it's not ideal it's better than nothing so I think maybe that should have to be in a remit for every team getting mm. to a provincial final you know so my point is is probably moving away from the great interview Brian Fenton gave you and he's fascinating and the regard he has Cluxton and, and people like that but what I'm trying to say to you is you learned three or four things there from that interview with Fenton, with Fenton that that maybe people wouldn't have known previously. Yeah. And we saw we saw it with soccer last week. And the more we can get into that, the GEA the better. The um, we we could dwell on this for a while, and we'd end up yeah. we'd end up just sounding like what we are two fellas who are frustrated at the lack of media access and how great it is when yeah. you do get them. But I I have a, I have a vivid recollection. I could tell you where I was, and I could tell you exactly what t- nearly what time of the day it was when a leading light in the GEA many many years ago said to me your rights and your access start when the ball is thrown in in the end when the referee blows the final whistle and anything you get outside of that they're doing you a favour but anyway listen big day for Dublin in terms of, of Stay City day, coming yeah. on as their sponsor um, you know there had been rumours um, well placed yeah. I think that there was a different sponsor in the offing and obviously this deal has been done and again it will show you the commercial might of Dublin GAA and the interest in that brand uh, that here we are with a deal that while the figures themselves will not be released, we can expect it to be in excess of a million euro, as has been the case with AIG in recent years. Absolutely. And, you know, Stacey, he would have come left to centre for me. Um, you know, I would have maybe been looking at that closely and just trying to see, was there another huge name going to take over? Uh, it appeared that might be the case at one stage, but... Uh, stay sit here the sponsors now for five years it's the most coveted GEA sponsorship in the land uh, Dublin is the is the blue chip of of GEA sponsorship I would have imagined uh, and it's it's another momentous day um, for the capital uh, John Costlow probably um, has moved on in the last week or two so uh, it's a chance for the, the, the new set up the new brigade to come in and, and show their wares but uh, it's, a, it's another big day for Dublin in that they outlined their ambition to to have a 10-year lease on Spawell. Uh, when I say a 10-year lease, a 10-year lease of a centre of excellence, a 10-year development of it. Um, that's kind of come into play today, Damien. Um, the Planning Commission has gone in there to have a, another hub, another centre of excellence on the south side. Uh, Hollystown, uh, you know, that's that's probably been well in the, in the public domain for quite a while now. Uh, a 6.6 million operation up there and now in the spa well that land was bought for 9 million in 2017 when John Costlow was at the helm and, and and golf lovers are probably going to suffer in the the near to medium term future because the golf facility there would be probably done away with now and Dublin GEA are going to have their own centre of excellence and you're talking what are you talking here in, in both venues south side and north side you're talking uh, uh, pitches three or four pitches uh, you're talking gymnasiums, physio rooms, you're, you're talking maybe a, a number of 500 seats, an uncovered terrace that can hold 500 people as well, both venues. Uh, you're, you're looking at all sorts of facilities uh, changing for female, male, unisex, uh, all match officials. So that's another m- momentous th- th- decision that's after going ahead in the last day or two as well for Dublin GEA. So you now have a centre of excellence coming in both north side and south side. And uh, allied to the sponsorship that you mentioned there today, Damien, it may be November, six weeks out from uh, Christmas time, but uh, just ferociously planning ahead all the time. And it's a, it's probably providing pitches for uh, 
for, for numbers in clubs that can cater for their own to be honest yeah and listen like touched upon in that interview you know Brian Fenton and his generation are the guys who benefited from the blue wave of investment which took place yes. you know whenever it was and I, if you're not from Dublin if you're from one of the other competing counties I think centres of excellence on either side of the city and everything else that's going to go into it uh, perhaps will make for ominous reading um, in terms of Dublin's potential for the years to come Um you and I on this yeah. programme, in this slot last week, we talked about the potential for hurling counties with less than five senior club teams being excluded effectively from the Allianz League from 2025 onwards. Um, it's been quite the week in terms of, of a backlash. Cavan very strongly came out against this. The Fermanagh captain, Ryan Bogue, uh, did yeah. a piece with, with Niall McCoy on the RT Sport website. Um, Peter Fortune was on with Joanne on Saturday Sport on Radio 1. Mm. And the level of of passion that has been existed by those involved at the grassroots will give an indication of the level of opposition that the GAA are going to face to this. A hundred percent. Couldn't have put it any better. Um, now, look, I mean, the, a lot of the a lot of the GAA people on those committees, the, the, the Central Competitions Control Committee, like, they've brought this to our Corla, right? But, like, this hasn't come out of the sky either. They've listened to the, some of those counties involved and taken on board their feedback and put in a plan and a framework based on what the counties have told them. There's a big gap, obviously, between what the counties have told them and what the players in some of those counties want as well. So, obviously, not everybody is of the same opinion. And uh, I had felt, I think you asked me last week, Damien, how would this go? And I just said, look, the players will want to play. And I think we've seen we've seen a, a lot of a lot of talk about that in the last week, especially, and uh, is a very emotional issue. And I think that debate in December, I could only see it going one way at the moment. It doesn't mask, however, the issues at ground level in those counties for some of the administrators. And while they may not have been communicating to the, the playing fraternity, uh, those issues won't go away. So they're going to have to be addressed. And then you had Martin Fogarty coming out, the former uh, national hurling manager, and he was lamenting the fact that he hasn't been replaced, nor has the position. And I think you had a column written by Liam Sheedy in the Irish Examiner sh- shedding a light on hurling's challenges and maybe the, the, the attention given to hurling. Um, and I think my own gut feeling last year, Damien, was that the whole hurling championship, it, it kind of whizzed by. Um, I think you were you were down to maybe the last the last four or the last eight very, very quick in the season. And I I, I felt that maybe promotion-wise, it didn't get maybe what it could have got. Uh, and now you're seeing five counties under threat at the other end of the scale. And you've seen the level of outpouring of, of emotion against that move. So uh, this is without the GPA having even spoken officially. Now, the five counties' representatives have come together. Uh, I think they're currently looking for feedback from their own counties on what they plan to do about this vote. And I think there'll be a rigorous uh, clamour for them to go against that vote. And and if those five counties are going to fundamentally vote against it, well, then the other counties will have to re- really roam behind that mm. in December as well. So it's fascinating. These these issues do emerge at this time of the year, but more and more I'm hearing about county boards coming under increasing strain. And uh, I think, though, the suggestion to move the season from six months to three would be seen by many cynics uh, as, as something that would not develop hurling. And where would the money go, really? There'd be a fear out there among the hurling fraternity that that money could be pumped back into footballing matters as well in those counties. So uh, it's, it's messy. And uh, But look, debate is good. If it, if it highlighted the issue, um, I think more, more importantly, though, you do need more playing numbers and playing teams in those counties. Like the, the notion of one or two club teams feeding into a county team that's not really healthy for anybody either, Damien. So that needs to be looked at fundamentally no matter what happens in December. 
Yeah, we'll wait and see. And the other issue as well is, as is the situation in all of these things, the, the most prominent voices are sometimes the most highest profile players. And has there been a little bit of a gulf in terms of, of people of a particular stature within the game currently coming out to defend this? Yes, I saw the likes of Conor Whelan and, and a couple more coming out, Neil McManus and stuff like that. I actually saw Samuel Roy from Loud as well. Uh, yeah, so look, that's a fair point to make too. You know, I think um, we're all about equality there for the last few years and now there's maybe a, a hurling inequality as well. Um, I think by nature, uh, you know, a, a lot of players will be uh, focused on their own bubbles at the moment, whether they're in county championships or provincial championships or getting ready for the inter-county setup. But yeah, you're right, that's a fair point as well. And uh, But I think certainly from those who've spoken out, they've made an impact. There's mm. no doubt about that, even though they may be in the fifth tier. You mentioned it's the off-season, but it's a, a big week of celebration in store. The uh, GAA, GPA, PWC All-Stars taking place uh, in Dublin this weekend. And again, we can't dismiss the value of these to people. And there'll be a couple of players having sleepless nights over the next 48 hours or debating in their heads, surely I'm worthy of that trophy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's for sure, Damien. And look, I think um, I was a hurling selector and I think, you know, that team will be out in the next couple of days or whatever. So uh, I, I think from, from my own perspective, like you you have you have probably a, a team that to be a debate on, on a few positions, maybe not as many as in other years. But look, let's just look at the, the overall scheme of the All-Stars. And you talk about a player like the both you and I have interviewed, like in football, like Enda Smith, for example. No, I, I'm not a football selector, so I can talk freely away like in my mind he, he's he been unbelievable this year again and you know does he suffer then because he's, his county hasn't gone to the final stage and like traditionally if you get to a final a semi-final you've got a better chance of representation in the All-Stars I can see that point of view as well but uh, also if you've done your best for your county every single day you've gone out and delivered nearly a 9 out of 10 like Smith has you have to be right up there too equally the age-old debate over if a guy's been playing brilliant in one position but there's two or three contenders there equally. Does he move to a different position and upstage somebody else, even though it's not his own natural habitat? So all these issues rage on every single year and there'll be controversies in the next couple of days, Damien. At the end of the day, though, um, they matter to the players. Uh, the players pick the players of the year. The journalists pick the actual selections because it's a journalist scheme, don't forget. And nobody has seen more games than the GEA journalists out there, uh, particularly in the round robin where it's impossible to get all of them. GEA journalists, you know, the, the selection committees have seen both. So, um, you know, it, it's certainly, it's like any player got an all-star. It's a career high, mm. you know, maybe to the, to the likes of the Dubs and Limerick who are winning them year in, year, in, year out. Uh, but still, you look back in years to come and you, you'll, you'll relish every single one of them. And, you know, I, I'm, I the experience back home in Killer One, one of my, my best friends, one of my oldest friends won an all-star. And I, I just saw that firsthand then the, what that meant to the people of Killer One and and to 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 Mark's family, Mark O'Leary, and you know everybody was so proud of him. So like it, it's it's a career, it's a seismic moment in your career, and they it's an ultimate accolade. It's all about team, obviously in our games, but but to, to, for the individuals to get there as well uh, to reflect the season that they've had. I think there'll be a huge amount of stake when they're announced on Friday night. I'm Googling frantically here to try and find out how many All-Stars Aaron Kernan has won because I, I want to talk to you about him. Um, like a, a remarkable servant to club and county who's called time in his career. 
uh, unbelievable. 2005 Young Player of the Year, uh, 18 county titles with Cross Glen Rangers. Just fell one short of Paul Harty, who has 19, incredibly, probably the most anybody has in one code in one county. 19 county titles Harty has. And Aaron has told Harty he's not coming back next year to try and level that. Uh, you're, you're looking at three Ulster titles with Armagh. He missed, obviously, his father leading Armagh to the Holy Grail a couple of years earlier. Um, I think he has three All-Ireland club titles, and I think he possibly has six provincial titles. I'm only saying this off the top of my mm. head now, so, so forgive me. But he, Remarkably, he, but he doesn't have an All-Star. No, and I, I was going to say that at the yeah. end. He, he, you know, and I mean, the, the young footballer of the year probably would have been a colossal accolade. Um, and, uh, you know, to the best of my opinion, he doesn't have an all-star from my recollection, which I'm getting old now. No, well, to be honest with you, I was Googling it while you were chatting because I hadn't looked it up until we started talking with the all-stars. But I'm looking at an article here which is stating the case for yeah, kind of yeah, honorary yeah, all-stars yeah. or a career all-star because remarkably, <laughs> remarkably, he doesn't have an all How does Aaron Kernan not have an all-star? Yeah, look, I mean, probably because he's so just consistent all the time. And, like, you know probably would be a real Dennis Irwin type. He delivered day in, day out, and probably the standards he set for himself were massive, but probably the standards that everybody else set for himself as well. But on his day, like, I mean, what a reader of a game. What a tidy, skillful footballer. Just his ball control. And even the other night, we were up in um, Healy Park uh, watching Cross McGlenn play a trillic. And now Cross didn't come out of the traps in the second half, but Aaron was their best player in the first. Okay, you can look at Clark's spectacular scores and that, but but Aaron was unbelievable because he was bringing the he was playing the game in front of him. Uh, Trillick had set back, but Aaron had a head up the whole time, already two passes ahead. And what I loved about him, I could hear them talking on the field to each other. Once he had the ball released, he was actually moving the lads around in front of him as well. So uh, he was moving really, really well at 39 years of age. Uh, but just really, the, the word I'd have for him is respect, uh, more so than than anything else really Any, the moment I see him is just respect uh, because it's the way he carries himself uh, he, he's a lovely guy outside of football but deadly serious about the game as well mm. the condition he has kept himself in is incredible as well but I think he's reading of the game Damien I've worked with, with Aaron as, a, as an analyst for different outlets uh, I have him on as you and I both know we've had him on the championship radio show several times as well like he, he's he's a coach stroke manager in waiting as far as I'm concerned I, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if that happened sooner rather than later yeah. now he's a busy man with a young family but look it, it, I think he walks away with his head held high and another county medal in the bag with his beloved Cross McGlenn and that would mean more to him than probably any individual award you could throw at him yeah one of the good guys uh, Damien thanks for being with us as always Lovely stuff, Damien. That's Damien Lawler with us there, bringing tonight's programme to a conclusion. Laurelie Davies was our broadcast coordinator. Andrew O'Connor produced from Damien O'Mara. Until we chat again tomorrow evening, thanks for your time. Stand by for better.